This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. I've ever done is cook that's the only thing that I can do and I can do it all right I think I like to think that I'm quite all right at it and I just thought if this can help somebody maybe have an easier evening after work or produce some nice food that they want to or they have any questions that's the only way that I'm going to help I like to think that I've kind of done the training so that people don't have to and then they get some delicious food at the end of it hopefully Hey, food fans. I'm food writer and culinary entrepreneur Sabrina Medora, and you're listening to Homemade by All Recipes. Each week, we bring you talented home cooks, authors, chefs, and celebrities to discuss the memories and traditions behind their favorite foods, along with discussions on what's happening in food culture today. I don't know about you folks, but I've had many a moment over the years where I'm craving something that feels distinctly like comfort food, but seems way too complicated to actually cook. Well, this week's guests may come from different backgrounds, but they're both passionate about making comfort food even simpler to make at home. You'll be hearing from cookbook author and founder of the wildly popular Brooklyn Deli brand, Chitra Agarwal, on curries, pickles, and how Indian cooking can actually be a breeze, whether you're a newcomer or very familiar. But first, we'll be hearing from a Michelin-trained chef turned TikTok superstar who's putting a spotlight on the ingredient everyone can agree on, the humble potato. This bud right here is the most well-known, best-loved, award-winning Albert Bartlett original rooster potato. It's got this beautiful red skin. It's super versatile. You can bake it, you can mash it, you can boil it, you can roast it. It's quite literally Britain's favourite branded potato. She's the self-proclaimed potato queen, and her first book is officially out now. Homemade listeners, please welcome, all the way from London, Poppy O'Toole. Hey, Poppy. Hello, hello. Um, Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I'm so excited to talk to you. You're like a TikTok superstar. You have a (laughs) fabulous connection with potatoes. And I feel like I've found my soulmate a little bit. Oh, good. Okay. Well, at least we're kindred spirits then. Exactly. I mean, how can you not love a potato? I don't know. I don't trust anybody now who doesn't love potatoes. It's like, you know, when people don't trust like, not dog people. And I'm like, no, if you're oh, not yeah. a potato person, I don't know if we can be friends. <laughs> well, I am a dog person and a potato person. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like really that's the best combo. And to all the cat people out there listening, I respect you. And to yeah. all the potato on the fencers, clearly you just need to watch some of Poppy's videos <laughs> and get in the kitchen <laughs> and perhaps make her famous hash browns from McDonald's, which actually, Poppy, that's what made you famous. It started the ball rolling, i got to say. It was only about my 10th video so we weren't really far into doing social media and yeah I just recreated the McDonald's hash brown and newspapers for some reason decided that they thought that was interesting and I thought that was going to be it I thought that's the peak this is it I've made it but yeah for some reason it carried on from there. (laughs) 
So you lost your job during the pandemic last year. I actually was, you know, I followed you on Instagram and you had written about how heart-wrenching it was. And I feel you on a personal level because I too was working in restaurants just on the sort of admin side of everything. Yeah. And so I remember the day of the shutdown, I was sitting on my couch. I'm like, all right, I'm ready for it. And one by one, the phone calls started happening and I lost all my clients in the span of about two days. Yeah, it was a really bizarre moment for anybody working in hospitality, like front of house, back of house, doing any admin stuff. We're all taken into the room um, all together. And it was just like, we're closing. You've all lost your jobs. And on the tube home, I was just like, oh, that's 10 years of my life just gone. So part of me was like, oh, we'll be closed for like three weeks. Hopefully I'll be able to get another job once we come out of lockdown in three weeks time. How naive to think it would be three (laughs) weeks. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to go back home. So I live in London, but my hometown is in Birmingham in the Midlands in the UK. So I went back home to my family home with my little brother and sister. And I thought, you know what, I have a nice little break. And I'll get to be with my family because I've never even eaten my food before. I've never cooked for them. Mm -hmm. So I thought, yeah, nice little holiday, but it turned into something amazing and also quite scary at the same time. It's amazing how many chefs I've interviewed over the past several years that tell me my family's never eaten my food. Yeah, you don't get a chance <laughs> to do it. Like like you get like what a Sunday and Monday off or, or whenever your day's mm-hmm. off. Like the last thing you want to do is get everybody over and cook for anyone because all you want to do is catch up on sleep, catch up on any TV shows that you've missed because you don't actually want to physically do anything. You just want to sit in front of a TV and do whatever. And actually talking to people is one of the last things you want to do. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I totally get that. And also, you don't even want to cook for yourself. It's so funny how many people think that chefs eat these like fabulous meals at home when really it's like ramen. (laughs) Yeah, it's literally microwave or hot water on top of noodles, anything but actually Mm -hmm. cooking. I mean, you can occasionally put something out if you're really desperate, but most of the time you are just like putting something in the microwave. (laughs) So what got you thinking like, okay, I'm going to start making TikTok videos? How did that even come about? So because I went home, I've got a younger brother and sister. They're about 14 years younger than me. So there's a big age gap. So they're only little. And they were just ignoring me on their phones. (laughs) And I was like, let's play a game. And they're like, "Mm," just scrolling. And I was like, right, well, I'm going to take over that platform then so you can see me. (laughs) And they helped me get onto TikTok and kind of showed me the ropes a little bit. And we just started creating some food together. So I think one of my first videos was just making some churros with my little sister. I really started to enjoy it. And I felt so helpless in that time. You know, all I've ever done is cook. That's the only thing that I can do. And I can do it all right, I think. I like to think that I'm quite all right at it. Right. And I just thought, if this can help somebody maybe have an easier evening after work or they can produce some nice food that they want to or they have any questions, that's the only way that I'm going to help. So I tried my best to do that. And then I think one of my videos got a comment from a key worker at the time saying like after a 13 hour shift, this was absolutely perfect for the family. And I was just like, okay, I need to keep going at this and help people in any way that I can and just teach people new techniques, I suppose. And it hasn't stopped since. I mean, there's such a draw because getting trained from a Michelin trained chef, who would think that that was possible? You know, maybe on Masterclass, like when Gordon Ramsay put out a video for Masterclass, but to have it readily available just as you're scrolling through, you know, on a random weekday night on the couch. (laughs) I like to think that I've kind of done the training so that people don't have to, and then they get some delicious food at the end of it, hopefully. I keep saying hopefully, the food is good. I promise you, I make nice food. (laughs) 
Oh, it's good. It's good. <laughs> now you have a book out. It's called Poppy Cooks, The Food You Need, and it released in September of this year. Yes, in right? the UK, it came out in September, but in North America and Canada, it's coming out 9th of November. Excellent. Okay. So I want to talk about this a little bit because my background is actually in publishing. I went to a publishing school, believe it or not, after college, and then I worked for Penguin Books for quite some time. Oh, lovely. I know how long it takes for a book to come out. <laughs> you... Lost your job in March, Yeah, got a book deal, wrote a book, recipe tested, <laughs> shot the book, and published it in under two years. Tell me your secrets. Go. Um, so, <laughs> so it's just absolute mania. That's what happens. So, um, so the publishers um, in the UK, so Bloomsbury, got in contact with me in, I think it was about September of 2020. And I saw this email and I nearly wet myself. I was like, oh my God, what the hell is going on? And I think I had about between 50 to 100,000 followers at that point, you know, massive still on TikTok for me. I thought that was, you know, the pinnacle. So I put a proposal forward the week later and they enjoyed it and it got pushed on. And then my followers were going up as well. And they were like, while the ball's rolling, let's try and get this done. So initially they said September 2022. And then I think because overnight on one of my videos, I went from like 200,000 followers to like a million. And they were like, right, uh, September 21. And I was like, what? How? How, um, how is this going to happen? So all the recipes were written and tested by January. Oh, my God. Which was really, really fun. A lot of washing up, but really good fun. <laughs> you didn't sleep. You didn't sleep for three months. It was just you. constant. Yeah. <laughs> So that was really interesting to do because a lot of the recipes within the book are things that I just love to eat anyway. Some stuff that I cook on the regular, but then I had to stop and weigh everything out and test it and make sure mm -hmm. it was still the right thing. As a chef, you kind of do cook with your eyes and heart. Sometimes you don't always weigh everything out. You're just making things that taste nice. So to go back and have to weigh everything was like a struggle for me. Mm -hmm. And then we had the photo shoot. I was cooking like about eight dishes a day. More than eight dishes a day, but you could only take enough photos of eight dishes a day because it was a lot of work for the photographer, for the props person. It was stressful, but it wasn't as bad as it should have been for the time frame, I think. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of the Harry Potter <laughs> words where they're in divination and Ron is reading Harry's tea leaves and he goes, so you're going to suffer, <laughs> you're going to be happy about it. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly what it was like. I was suffering, but I was so happy that I was doing it for my own cookbook. So I was like, yeah, we'll just be fine. We'll do it. Well, I mean, truly congratulations on that because I know what that process is like and for your editors and the publishing house yeah. to have such faith in you. And you proved them right. I mean, you really delivered and the book is spectacular. And Thank I you. just know, I mean, it's just the beginning for you. I can just feel it. I like to think so. I mean, every day I'm like, if it all ends now, I've had the best. Like, I'm so grateful that all of this has happened. And it's just, I would never have thought this could have ever actually happened. So I think that's one thing that helps me is that I'm just happy. I'm very, very happy that this, I was even given an opportunity to do any of this. So that's what I, you know, I take it one day at a time because you never know. <laughs> right. It's set out in kind of a different way to a normal cookbook. It's got these 12 core recipes, which make the chapters and those core recipes are like the skills almost so you have like tomato sauce and then you build up from that core recipe to make like a staple dish which is 
well good meatballs and spaghetti you know something like everyone mm-hmm. knows but this is the way that I like to do it and then you've kind of got a brunch dish as well using that tomato sauce and then you've got a potato dish using the tomato sauce and then you've got a fancy AF dish using the tomato sauce and that goes on throughout the whole book and I just wanted to make it really accessible for everybody whether it's the first time you've ever been in a kitchen or whether you make things for your family every single day it's just you know you can take something away from it each time I like to think like a new skill or a new idea I mean, to me, it kind of sounds like you're translating your chef training into this book because so often, you know, it's kind of like you learn the mother sauces and you learn the techniques to do something so basic and then you build up. So really, it is like lessons from a Michelin star chef. I'll put that on the tagline next time, actually. (laughs) That sounds better than what I've written in there. You're going to send me a signed copy and you can write that right on the cover and I'll take a picture and make sure everyone sees it. I do feel like this is just the beginning for you, which means there's lots more recipes to cook, but I'm dying to know, what is the one potato recipe, or maybe several, that you haven't tried yet, but are dying to like put up on TikTok? Oh, okay. So in America, there's a lot of whipped potatoes and you do it with like a hand whisk sort of thing and actually whip them. I want to develop that but with also like a cheese within. So it's like a cheesy whipped, like mash, baked, something else underneath it. That's something that is calling my name constantly. And now we're into autumn or fall. I'm like, yeah, this is when this time needs to happen. So I've seen a lot of videos like that. And I'm like, I need to recreate and make this my own. I keep trying to do, you know, have you seen like the fans of potato and you like do a little crisscross? They're the most difficult things I've ever tried, attempted to make (laughs) in my life. Whenever I do it, I try and... you know, I cut it nice and neat and what I think I've done is perfectly. And then I put it onto the skewer and it doesn't move. It just stays as a chunk mm. that's just got some crisscrosses right. in it. And I'm like, how do they do this? So I really want to get better at that, but I don't think I'm going to be able to. I don't think I've got the skill set for that. Maybe I need to work it out. It's one of those things that really, really frustrates me because I'm like, it looks so simple and I should be able to do that in essence. Mm, but I can't. But yeah, so that's what I want to be able to do. I'm going to keep an eye out. I think I remember you saying at some point that your favorite potato might be the potato fondant. Yes, I love potato fondant. I just love that you can just cook potato in pure butter and it becomes crispy and then really soft and buttery on the inside. It's just one of my favorite things in the world, in the world. My top five spuds always, always change. It's with the seasons. It's whatever I'm fancying, whether I've had it recently but it's usually a fondant's up there just because of how decadent it is. Okay. I need you to tell our listeners how to do this fondant if they haven't okay. watched the video yet. <laughs> Go. Make it really simple. Okay. So uh, peel your potato, cut it into a round as best you can, similar heights if you do more than one. Then in a pan, you want to get a little bit of oil, a little bit of garlic and thyme, heat that up, put your potatoes in on a flat side. Then once they've got colour on one side, turn them over onto the opposite side and then you're going to cover with clarified butter and then you're going to put a little bit of baking paper on top so none of the steam can kind of go away so they can cook through and then you're going to leave it on a low medium heat you kind of have to keep an eye on it until all the butter has gone disappeared and you're left with these potatoes that are stuck to the bottom of the pan and you just need to leave them to cool down completely, give them a little bit of a wiggle and eventually they'll come off the bottom and they are golden brown crispy, like unbelievably delicious, but then they are soft and cooked just with full with butter the whole way through and they are 
they are deathly, but they are absolutely delicious. <laughs> I think we need to use the word magnificent. Mag- oh, yeah, they are magnificent. <laughs> you will look at them and go, how did I just make that? Oh, how is that even a thing that you can eat? Because it is so perfect. <laughs> now, you said cover with butter. Does that mean the whole potato needs to be sort of covered with, you just slather Submerge. it on there? Submerge, Submerge with it. melted clarified okay. butter so it's okay. just liquid <laughs> it's so, so your bad. arteries will clog but yeah. you will die so happy yes yeah. and, and i mean you're gonna do about five six potatoes in one pan and you want to make sure that all the crevices are filled so any kind of trimmings of the potato shove that down every orifice of the pan then you get these little extra bits to eat as well that aren't particularly mm-hmm. perfect but they're delicious <laughs> That sounds so good. Okay, I know what I'm making for lunch today. There goes my uh, quote-unquote healthy eating for the day. (laughs) Poppy, I love hearing about kitchen disasters. (laughs) It's like a thing of mine. Because I have so many on the regular, and I just want to hear that everyone that's doing amazing things in the kitchen also has these disaster moments. All the time. All the time. The amount of things that I have to start again So professionally, I've done a few massive ones. Caramel just haunts me. I'd made some caramel. I poured it, you know, used it. And then I put the pan, the dirty pan, filled with water back onto the stove because it gets the stuck caramel off. Right. So it's a brownie colour. So I go back over a few minutes later. I pick up the pan and I throw it down the sink. Oh, my God. And I smelt it. And I stopped and I was like, what is this? And it was the pork shoe, which the the head chef had been making for two days. And I just poured it down the sink. <laughs> okay, that, that's, that's a faux pas. <laughs> I was stood there and I was like shaking because I just realised what I'd done. Everyone looked at me and I was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, I am so sorry. And I started laughing because when I get nervous, I start laughing. And they were like, what are you laughing at? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Um, and then eventually I ended up crying because I was like, I don't know how to deal with this. And I just kept apologizing. <laughs> eventually we laughed about it after about three weeks. Uh- <laughs> three weeks, right. <laughs> That's actually a relatively short amount of time. I think if I had done that with one of my old chefs, yeah, I don't even want to think about that. Actually, It was, it was quite, it was a nice restaurant. So we all, there was only about four of us in there. So we all had to get along. There was no option okay. to, for anyone to be nasty. So the rest of the service, I didn't get spoken to by anybody, which I was like, fair enough, I'll take that. I don't even want to speak to anybody right now. <laughs> but then, yeah, about two to three weeks later, we were all back on good terms and laughing about the pork sauce. Oh my God. <laughs> But yes, in this story is a good lesson for our listeners. It's something I do every night, especially when I use my Dutch ovens. When you have crusty stuff, don't try scrubbing it off. Just put some water in it, put it back on the stove and boil it off. And a trick that one of my chef friends taught me, Joanna Hellgrill from DC, she told me to add a little bit of baking soda and make like a paste and then put it on the stove. Works like a charm. Oh, so you put the paste on and then water and then... Yes. So actually not even that much water. So what I'll do is I'll dump out, you know, whatever I can in the the sink. 
And then I'll grab my baking soda and I'll just sort of put a thin layer on the bottom of the pan and I'll just take my sponge or whatever and just sort of like mix it in with just a, maybe a droplet or two of water so it paste forms and I put it right where all the sticky stubborn bits are. And then I add a little more water after That's that, maybe that like is. five minutes later, throw it on the stove, it all boils off and your pan will look brand new every time. Ah, oh, that's perfect. That's a good tip that is. I hadn't heard that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're going to do a special segment. It's called Fire Five. Ooh, and I'm going to okay. ask you five questions <laughs> real fast. You can't yeah. think. You just have to answer. Okay. There could be some very weird answers coming out. Let's go. <sighs> I should have thought of more weird questions, but oh, well, <laughs> we, we have what we have. <laughs> okay. Who is the one celebrity chef you're dying to cook with? Uh, Gordon Ramsay. I knew you were going to say that. I think everybody just wants to, don't they? Just wants. Just because. I mean, he's doing everything as well now. It would be great. He's coming to the United States, I believe, too. Oh, is he? Well, there uh-huh. you go, then. Yeah, you, maybe you need to get him on. Okay. Well, Gordon Ramsay, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here we go. Favorite type of salt? Uh, Molden. Okay. Favorite kitchen tool? It's Maurice. Spatula. Worst. <laughs> Worst potato type ever oh oh that's a horrible <laughs> question why would you say that i can't I know. all my babies i think my least favorite although i do love them is a new potato i have to say i love cooking um new potatoes in stock and bacon fat and just like putting it on a pan together it really is good oh you've made me regret all of my life choices yes that <laughs> sounds delicious damn <laughs> Okay, when you come over to the States, you're going to come visit me in San Diego yes. and I will make you bacon fat new potatoes. Ah, uh, you're going to see a video come out soon. You're going to be like, that's mine. I'll be like, no, sorry. You better put my name on it. <laughs> no, yeah, I will. <laughs> okay, would you rather have your own TV show or just keep doing social? Uh, social, TV, both. <laughs> both, yeah, go on then. You're allowed to say both. Both, Trick question. why not? I'm helping you manifest, okay? We're going to say, we're going to speak it into existence. TV yeah. and social. TV and social. <laughs> Gordon Ramsay, special guest star, TV and social. <laughs> That's going to be the best 2022 ever. <laughs> well, you know what? I have to say that post that you shared on Instagram where you said, I've lost my job. I'm so lost. I don't know what to do now. You ended that post and I have the quote. You ended it saying, 2021. I'm coming for you. And you did. Did I? Wow. I manifested it. I didn't even realize. So now we're going <gasps> to manifest 2022. And for everybody yeah. <laughs> listening, this is your chance. Shoot your shot. Just yeah. speak out loud what you want and just go for it. I bet you things will be a good day. Yes. You just got to keep saying it. You just got to keep saying in your head, I'm coming for you. And then you'll do it. And when all else fails, just go cook some potatoes. <laughs> And that will make you feel happy. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to keep seeing what you do and developing our friendship and hopefully having you on here again soon and all our love across the pond. Oh, thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I am going to go and cook myself some potatoes as well, because why not? Why not? Okay. Thank you, everyone, (laughs) for listening. Thank you. Poppy's new book is called Poppy Cooks, The Food You Need. And of course, you can find her all over TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter just by searching Poppy Cooks. Stay tuned after the break as we'll chat with Chitra Agarwal, the founder of Brooklyn Deli, 
She and I will be discussing the differences between Northern and Southern Indian cuisine. And she'll also tell us how we really can't go wrong by adding a jar of achar, or pickles, to our next foray in the kitchen. That and more coming up here on Homemade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. of the food that I was making, I, I really started to just document my family's recipes. But then over time, I was starting to play with the techniques and make different recipes based off of maybe seasonal produce or working with different chefs that came from different points of view. So I was able to kind of explore my own kind of interest in cooking using a lot of these techniques and recipes that I had learned through my family. Hey everyone, welcome back to Homemade. I'm Sabrina Medora, and my next guest is Chitra Agarwal, co-founder of Brooklyn Deli, that's D-E-L-H-I. Brooklyn Deli is an Indian-American food brand inspired by Chitra's family recipes and her love for plant-based ingredients. She is specialized in developing flavors inspired by her heritage, as well as Indian culinary traditions, for over a decade. Mm. I mean, there's so many different flavors, warming spices, the tomato, the caramelized onion, the ginger, the garlic. It's really delicious. And this is Rajma Chawal. This is the comfort food of North India. Chitra is the author of Vibrant India, Fresh Vegetarian Recipes from Bangalore to Brooklyn. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, Food and Wine, Vogue magazine, and many, many more. Please welcome Chitra Agarwal. Hi, Chitra, and welcome to Homemade. Hi. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. I am thrilled to be talking with you because my whole pantry is just Brooklyn Deli and has been for many, many years. (laughs) Oh, amazing. Thank you. (laughs) I love, 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 love all of your products because it reminds me of home. And and in a way, it actually reminds me of more than home because my mom didn't always make the most Indian food growing up. Like she'd make Parsi food a lot, mm-hmm. but not necessarily like achars and things like that. So it's kind of like having that taste of India when I'm no longer in India. Amazing. I love to hear that. <laughs> Let's start off with, were you born and raised in India or were you born and raised in the United States? Tell me about your background. 
I was born and raised in Jersey. Where in Jersey? <laughs> in New Providence. It's a really small town in Union County. Yes. Okay. You know? <laughs> I lived in Jersey. That's where oh. my family settled. <laughs> oh, that's right. I remember reading that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Where were you in Jersey? We were in Bergen County. Oh, that's the next county over. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my parents, though, would go back to India every year. And so that's kind of how my brother, who's older than me, and I would really have a connection to India and our relatives there. And then my parents, they both love to cook. So that's another way that we were exposed to Indian culture. But yeah, I'm a Jersey girl. <laughs> I That is fantastic. I too am a Jersey girl, although <laughs> I've lived in so many different places. I feel like I can call so many places my home and yet nowhere my home. So that gets weird. But Jersey. Yeah, I, no, I get you. <laughs> I went to school in California and lived in California for about eight years and then moved back to the East Coast about, I guess now, 16 years ago. Okay. And are you in Brooklyn now? Right now I'm in upstate New York, in Kingston, okay. New York. But you were in Brooklyn when you started this venture, I'm yes. guessing? Yes. Yes, I was. And just with the two kids and like pandemic, we ended up kind of moving to many different places in the last year. We were near my husband's family in Wisconsin. We were living in another place in upstate. We went back to Brooklyn and then finally just came back up here. <laughs> okay, very important question. Um, is your husband a Packers fan? He is. He is. Okay, He's good. not like a super sports guy, but if you were to ask him who his team is, it would definitely be the Packers. Well, go pack go, <laughs> because my husband's family is also from Wisconsin oh and Arizona, God. but yeah. a big, big presence in Wisconsin. And when I first moved to the United States, you know, being in Jersey, I kind of automatically gravitated towards the Yankees and the Giants and things like that. But as I started to understand sports more and then I went to school in Indiana, I actually just like fell in love with the Packers. And then lo and behold, like seven years later, met my husband, <laughs> who is a huge Packers fan. So we're a big Packers household here. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. That, so that was foreshadowing of meeting your husband. <laughs> you yeah. first became yeah. a Packers fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. So Brooklyn and then Delhi. So I'm guessing that your family is from Delhi. My father is from Delhi and my mom is actually from Bangalore. So two different cultures and foods that I grew up eating, too. Yeah, it'd be great for the listeners to understand a bit about why those two are so different. Gosh, they are <laughs> they're worlds apart. A lot of North Indian food. I think most people are a little bit more familiar with because a lot of the Indian restaurants serve more North Indian food. So my dad would make chole or chana masala, uh, rajma, which I feel like needs to get a little bit more play here, which I love, uh, which is kidney yeah. bean curry. And then Mutter paneer, and then he loves to make bread, so he'll make paratha or puri or chapati. And then my mom, who's from South India, I feel like it's more rice centric, so a lot of kind of like lemon rice, and then saru, which is lentil and tomato. Some people call it, I guess, it's also referred to as rasam. Okay, yeah, and sambar. I guess in 
uh, she grew up in Karnataka and Bangalore, so it's called Huli. Okay. And I know that's the whole thing about, I feel like Indian cuisine is just kind of like, I mean, not only is it so vast and different from region to region, but it's like within South India, it's like similar dishes are called by different names. <laughs> yeah, it, it <laughs> but, does get very confusing, even for someone that, I mean, I've spent 13, 14 years of my life in India and I still couldn't identify half the foods that I saw. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, yeah, so I, I feel like that's kind of the difference, a very simplistic difference, is that my father's food would be kind of more kind of breads and curries, and then my mother's would be kind of more soupy, like lentils and rice dishes, a lot of coconut, curry leaves, mustard seeds, and then my father is more kind of like garam masala, coriander powder, cumin seeds. So those were kind of like the differences just from like a very high level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so you have been a chef and a cooking instructor. You have a book called Vibrant India, Fresh Vegetarian Recipes from Bangalore to Brooklyn, which came out a couple of years ago now. And tell me how Brooklyn Deli came to be. Sometimes I think I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this because I was doing something totally different before. And I started just writing on a blog. It started in 2009 called the ABCDs of Cooking. A blog that I think just, you know, my mother read. Um, and it was- <laughs> <laughs> and for those who don't know, ABCD stands for American Born Confused Daisy. So it's hilarious that your blog was actually named that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because it's this term that a lot of kids that grew up in America, their parents just are like, oh, you're being such an ABCD. And I felt like I wanted to take that term and just throw it on its head and just also celebrate this perspective, which is the Indian American perspective. And so a lot of the food that I was making, I I really started to just document my family's recipes. But then over time, I was starting to play with the techniques and make different recipes based off of maybe seasonal produce or working with different chefs that came from different points of view. So I had an Indian Mexican supper club at one point and an Indian Chinese supper club with a Chinese cookbook author, Diana Kwan. So I was able to kind of explore my own kind of interest in cooking using a lot of these techniques and recipes that I had learned through my family. And I think that when you think about ABCD, the Indian American perspective in food, a lot of that work that I was doing before really just rolled into what became Brooklyn Deli, which was, I can argue, is a better name than ABCD. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so that's basically, I mean, how Brooklyn Deli came to be. And I had actually developed a lot of the achar recipes when I was writing the ABCDs of cooking, where I was taking produce that I was getting in my weekly farm share and then making achar out of them. So I'd get rhubarb, I'd get green gooseberries, heirloom tomatoes, all these different things. And I grew up loving achar. So trying to figure out like, how can I make my own using these vegetables and fruits? Because I feel like achar, a lot of what 
it is, is it's preservation of vegetables and fruits that are in season. And so I wanted to apply that same kind of thinking to the vegetables and fruits that I was getting in my weekly farm share. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people, especially these days, are familiar with fermentation. Right. And I actually had a couple of people, because I will often post about the different achars that I like to eat with my food or even just put on popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) And someone reached out to me yesterday saying, what is that? And I said, the one I was eating was actually not Brooklyn Deli, but it was (laughs) Gorkeri, which is the, um, it's like the mango achar. Yeah. And I tried to explain it's because she thought it was something along the lines of like the spicy chili crunch, like a laogan ma. I was like, well, actually, it's very sweet with notes of spices that come from the east, like lots of cumin, fenugreek, asafoetida, and turmeric. Um, but a beautiful way to preserve any vegetable oh, yeah. or even fruit. Definitely. You know, the one thing that I find so interesting is that achar or just pickling in general is it's practiced all over India and it's really made in so many different ways. So when we're kind of trying to figure out how do we want to launch achar with Brooklyn Deli, we had thought about, should we call it Indian pickle, right? Or should we do achar? which is in Hindi, that's what Indian pickle is referred to as. But where my mom, in her language, Kannada, it's called Upankai. So, I mean, it's also referred to in all of these different ways. And it's so cool to kind of just understand what gets pickled and how things get pickled. So I would learn in North India from my relatives that they would take root vegetables and then pickle them and use mustard oil and different spices, I'd say, than my South Indian relatives. They'd use fennel seed and kalonji and coriander seed. And then in the South, where my mom is from, some of the pickles will use sesame oil. And instead of like a root vegetable, well, primarily my grandmother would make lemon or lime pickle or green mango. And she would use fenugreek seed powder, black mustard seeds, asafoetida, and chili. So she would just like have a chard or open kai sitting in these ceramic kind of jugs or they're called juddies. And it would just be the lemons or limes fermenting Mm -hmm. in the salt and turmeric and chili. And then she would take kind of a portion of that and then season it with oil and the asafoetida, black mustard seeds. And that's what they would kind of eat maybe that day or that week. But then the rest of the pickle, it would continue to ferment. So it's so interesting is like the flavor changes as well, right? That's so interesting. I'd never heard of that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll be the first to admit I've never made a char <laughs> in my life. I Why would I when I have Brooklyn Deli? <laughs> right, right. Uh, I know. <laughs> but yeah, it's so interesting to hear of how versatile it can be. And another thing that I always like to tell my friends and family that aren't as familiar with achar is it's less like a crunchy pickle, like a kimchi or something like that. And it's more like a jammy pickle, which is really just like a treat. And my favorite way of eating a pickle is because it's got that I don't even really know how to describe it. It's got that viscosity. Oh, yes. It's got the the texture of it. Right. It's not just pieces of mango that you pick up and put in your mouth and it's like a crunch with some fermentation. I mean, you can literally spread it on bread and use it as a jam. Totally. I know. And that's why we kind of struggled with should we come out with it as Indian pickle? 
But it was just that if we were selling it in grocery stores here in the U.S., a lot of people, the first thing they think about when they think about a pickle is a dill pickle. And I think that, as you said, like an Indian pickle is so different. And there's a lot of education as far as kind of explaining to people what it's all about and and how to use it, too. So tell us, how do you use your achars? Well, I use it in many different ways. <laughs> Traditionally, I love it with rice and dal. I mean, that's like, <laughs> that's it. But in South India also, this is one thing that I love that my mom's family does often, which, which is serve just rice, yogurt, and then mix in the achar, mm. the lemon pickle. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is such a nostalgic flavor for me. And then I also grew up having it in like cheese sandwiches. So spread on a sandwich. Mm -hmm. I love my tomato char with eggs and like the garlic pickle. We make a roasted garlic, like a bread with it. It's like garlic bread, but with the roasted garlic achar. It is so good. I've done that myself and I have to vouch. It's so easy. Just like go to the <laughs> supermarket, get some baguettes or any kind of crusty bread yeah. and then just swoop, just like lashings of the garlic. I mean, I've literally used an entire jar in one sitting <laughs> and it is the best, the absolute best. And then for your tomato achar, I actually use it as a substitute for other ingredients and spices. So I know it has cumin. I know it's got tomato. I know it has fenugreek. So I will just dollop that in if I'm making a dal or a curry or even keema, which is our version oh, of yeah. minced meat. Yeah, I'll just use that. Amazing. And honestly, I'll just put ground beef in the pan, a little bit of salt. I'll put in like half a jar of the tomato achar and I'll just let that cook. And, and it's delicious. I love that. See, I was just talking to my brother and he was saying, because he knows that I put a lot of different recipes on our blog. And he was just like, you got to put my bean recipe on your blog. And I was just like, well, send it to me. But he does similar thing where he just cooks beans and he just puts like the tomato jar and he's like, that's the recipe. <laughs> it honestly, your products make cooking Indian food at home so easy. Oh, truly, I love it does. That. <laughs> you had a very interesting social media post about curry. Oh, yes. And how to use the word. And I know that your line now includes curry mustard, coconut curry, tomato curry. And so. I'm very curious. I'd love for you to share with our listeners your take on the word curry and what role it plays in the genre of Indian food. I think that a lot of people are really split on the word curry because it was a word that was coined by the British and also came about by a misunderstanding of probably what they were eating in South India in particular. I grew up where my parents would actually use the word curry to describe something that they were making that had a mix of Indian spices, but didn't have a formal name. But I think the problem with curry is that when people start to use the word curry instead of the actual name that the dish was given, at that point, you're starting to kind of erase those regional dishes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we have a problem. But 
there's a lot of different places around the world that use the word curry. And it's actually like a very nostalgic word for some people. I mean, because it reminds them of the food that they grew up eating. I mean, in Japan, there's curry. In the Caribbean, there's curry. In South Africa, there's curry. And a lot of people, when they talk about it, they have great love for that word. And so I don't like to say that you shouldn't use the word curry, but I don't think that it should be synonymous with all Indian food, which is what I think happens. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times, you know, even when I've been demoing where people tell me that, oh, well, I don't like Indian food because I don't like curry. And I think that was really the motivation for me to put that post together because it's such a complex issue because... Some people don't want to use the word, but some people grew up with the word. And so I just wanted to educate people about where the word came from and how to navigate Indian dishes and encourage people to learn the words or learn the names of the dishes before they go to the C word. Right, right. That's funny. I mean, I I honestly, I completely understand where people are coming from when they use the word curry because just as you said, it is such a broad term. And, you know, there's Japanese curries and Caribbean curries and Indian curries. And in a way, I think that the word has come to represent a gravy-like dish that has spice, that has heat. That has heat and spice. (laughs) And some people will try a curry and then just assume that all curries are similar. But the fact is that, you know, the family of spices that we use is so vastly different to what you would find in a Japanese curry. And then with India, it does add a layer of complication because I want to say, what, 65% of all of our food is gravy-based? Yeah, I mean, saucy in nature. Yeah. Yeah. So I can definitely see where people sort of find it easy to be like, oh, curry. But I also think it's important for people like yourself and brands like Brooklyn Deli to help broaden the knowledge of Indian food um, and to advance the understanding of it in Western society for sure. So I love that you're doing that. And I also love how accessible you're making all of these flavors. Yeah, I do a lot of work around the education piece. And I think that also comes from just being a recipe blogger before. It really is one of the parts of running the business that I enjoy most is coming up with the recipes for using the products. And I really enjoy that part. Earlier in this episode, we spoke with Poppy O'Toole, who is a big TikTok superstar star now because she has made cooking so accessible to so many people, especially her love for potatoes, and she's really blown up. And I feel that there's a great similarity between you two because Brooklyn Deli, I mean, you name it, Vogue, Food Network, Food and Wine, Bon Appetit, Eater, New York Times. I mean, the list goes on and on. Epicurious, you guys have been featured everywhere. What does that feel like? It it definitely feels good because there was so many times where I've had doubts about if this business is viable, if it was going to work. And I think that to get validation from food critics, I mean, it is important for us. It also 
helps to spread the word to people that have not heard about the types of products that we sell. The main thing is trying to get as many people to try what we put out. That has been the largest hurdle. It's just kind of awareness in general. Can you share some fun, like, achar tips if people want to try their hand at making some at home for this winter season? Yes, definitely. I think winter season is great because that's actually citrus season. So one of the most fun pickles that I love to make is a Meyer lemon pickle. I actually have that recipe in my cookbook. I mean, it's pretty simple, but it just takes time. You start just with salt, turmeric, and then chopped lemons, or you can also use limes. I like using thin-skinned citrus because it takes less time, basically, because you're waiting for the skins to kind of break down so that they get kind of like that nice consistency. And a Meyer lemon has a thinner skin and it has a bit of sweetness. And so that's one of my favorites to pickle. I kind of layer the salt and turmeric with layers of the cut fruit. And then you basically just cap it and let it it sit and do its thing. Maybe every couple of days you come back and you may stir it around, may shake it. So you have like a little relationship with <laughs> your fermenting citrus. And then when it gets to the point where the lemons have kind of just broken down enough, then you can start adding the masala or the different spices. And what I love to do is take fenugreek seeds and roast them until they get mm-hmm. kind of nutty and then grind it and then mix that with the chili powder and then have that mixed together with the citrus. And then I usually have that sit for a little bit. And then at the very end, I will temper or heat oil with asvatita and mustard seeds. And that's kind of like mm-hmm. the final way to season the pickle. And it's basically ready to eat at that point. It's just so much fun to make a pickle because you've spent all this time that you kind of invest with it. And then to enjoy it and to share it with other people, I think it's really special. <laughs> Absolutely. You mentioned letting the pickle with the salt and everything just do its thing. How long would you recommend you leave that for? So it could be like two weeks or so. It really depends on like the skin of the pickle. If you can leave it for a month, that's great. I feel like the flavor really develops nicely. So you could probably get somewhere good in two weeks. So if you were kind of wanting to to get going with it. Right. And do you pack it all in as tightly as possible or do you leave some room to breathe in the mason jar? Oh, so this is a very important tip. Now, you should try to get the juiciest citrus that you can get, which should be available during the winter. So what I do is I layer it, but I gently kind of press it. And when you want to start the fermentation process, there should be enough lemon juice that covers till the very topmost lemon. So if your lemons are not juicy enough, then you have to add more juice though. So that's an important part. They should be submerged. Okay, understood. So they're not packed dry. They should be packed wet. Mm -hmm. Right. And then leave it anywhere from two weeks to a month and then start adding and layering in those spices. Right, yeah. And what would you do with this lemon achar? How would you serve it and eat it at home? 
Oh gosh. The first thing I put it on rice and yogurt. Um, I love putting it in salad dressings. Literally you can just mix it with like some olive oil and it has so much flavor in it. You are pretty much good to go by cutting up the lime or lemon pickle and then mixing it with some olive oil and then putting it on some greens. It's so delicious. Just even like that. Wow. Yeah. That's a game changer. Yeah. And I make, <laughs> I love making dressings too. I use like all of our products, like our mango chutney, our curry mustard, the achars, like we make salad dressings with them. Well, this has been such a good experience chatting with you. And people should know that I also just put it on popcorn. I will take the garlic and dip chips into it. Everybody who <laughs> listens knows that I love dipping chips into things. It's such a versatile line of product and I can't wait to see what else you're coming out with. And for listeners, if you are curious about some more recipes, you can always check out Chitra's book, which is called Vibrant India, Fresh Vegetarian Recipes from Bangalore to Brooklyn. And if you just want to take it from me and be kind of lazy, basically select a protein and either marinate it or cook it in pretty much any Brooklyn deli sauce and you won't be sorry. Oh, thank you, Chitra. Yes. Thanks for having me, Sabrina. There you have it, folks. Get your simmer sauces and achars from brooklyndeli.com or go to brooklyndeli.com to find a store near you that carries the product. You can also learn more about Indian cooking from Chitra via Instagram at C-H-I-T-R-A or buy her book, Vibrant India, Fresh Vegetarian Recipes from Bangalore to Brooklyn. And then get excited for next week's episode because we are talking to someone truly iconic. She made the switch from politics to PBS, hosting an award-winning show, Patty's Mexican Table. And that's barely scraping the surface of everything she's accomplished. We'll be welcoming the one and only Patty Yinich. Food helps us understand ourselves. And food helps us connect and communicate. And many times when people can't understand each other, it is only by way of food that you can open a little door and say, okay, you don't get me, but you like my food, you know? And it's a, a way for Mexicans to understand ourselves and to help other people understand us and show how we can enrich, you know, not one country, but two. You won't want to miss it. So be sure to follow Homemade on your favorite podcast app. And listen, we're always looking for feedback on the show. So if you love us and have a second, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Don't forget, you can find thousands of recipes, meal ideas, and cooking how-tos from the world's largest community of cooks at allrecipes.com. And you can find me on Instagram at Sabrina Medora or at sabrinamedora.com. This podcast was produced by All Recipes with digital content director Jason Burnett. A huge thank you to our production team, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Daniel Roth, Jim Hankey, Maya Croth, and Andy Bosnack at Pod People. This is Homemade. I'm Sabrina Medora. And remember, cook with love, eat with joy. Mm-hmm.